But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. All right, hey everyone, I'm Angela Lin, and I'm Jesse Lin, and welcome back to But Where Are You Really From? Today we have a special guest with us, Cherry from With Chinese Characteristics, another awesome AAPI podcast. Welcome, Cherry. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're really excited to have Cherry on. One, because we love to do these crossover collabs with other cool Asian podcasts. Um, and also because Cherry's podcast is super different from ours. Like, let's just say she and her partner are way more educated than we are and do more homework than we do. <laughs> Their podcast is, well, actually, Cherry, why don't you give a little summary of your podcast? You're probably better at speaking to what it's well, about no. than I am. Well, that's very kind of you to, to say that first. Um, we are, well, this is a podcast about Asian American or Chinese and or Chinese history, culture, politics. Uh, and me and my partner, Natalie, we're not historians. We're just history lovers, I like to say. <laughs> and we have a special interest in, you know, um, anything that has Chinese characteristics, no pun intended. So we try to look for topics that we are interested in. And um, again, being not historians, we want to, you know, see how like an everyday person who's not a doesn't have a PhD in history or, or Chinese American studies would um, interpret and dissect these issues. And that's where we try to come in and try to tell the story in a more um, in the way that we ourselves would be able to understand it. Um, and connect to as well so yeah so um so that's our podcast awesome yeah it's it's really cool because I mean there are definitely so many different kinds of podcasts out there but especially compared to the way Jesse and I talk about things when we like quote unquote oh, research yeah. stuff <laughs> we're, we're not, not as hardcore on that. <laughs> truly yeah. so it's cool to have like the balance between different podcasts providing you know different lenses into stuff um but anyways make sure to check them out but the reason we have cherry on today um is we have a fun topic that we wanted to discuss um we're always trying to find kind of the different perspectives of asian american life um and upbringing and how we see the world differently and one of the main ways that we can see the world differently is based on where we were born and kind of where our formative years were spent. Um, so we wanted to compare and contrast the Asian American experience between those of us that were born and raised in the US but have deep family ties back in the motherland versus those who were born and raised in the motherland but came over here as you know, young adults and now live here because we're, we're all Asian Americans, but I would gander to think that the way we grew up um, had a big impact on kind of the way that we see things as grown-ups now. So that's, uh, that's what we wanted to cover with Cherry. But before we go into too deep on stuff, we can't jip you and leave you out of our <laughs> standard guest questions. So we did want to ask you, how would you answer, but where are you really from? Well, good question, because I've been asked that before, and I um, would love to give you the answer where I don't have to, you know, pretend or have my guard up, because sometimes depends on who's asking. 
there might be a, assumptions that asso- are you know associated with it. So I am um, I was born in China, and I lived in China for 18 years, and I came here for oh, came to America for college, and I have stayed here for. Um, a good decade, and I don't plan to leave anytime <laughs> soon in the future. So, and I and I really appreciate you saying, you know, we're all Asian Americans, because that's exactly how I feel. And I have a lot of, um, you know, born in America Asian American friends, and there are experiences of mine that maybe sometimes overlap with theirs, and sometimes it's very different. So I would, you know, I would love to talk about it this year. Well. Thank you for that. And I would love to dig in even already based on what you said, because I, I feel like based on what you just said, there is some, maybe you've had some experiences where people are not seeing you as Asian American. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's um, in a way, so I mean, obviously, like I don't speak, maybe you think I do because my partner thinks that I do, but like I feel like I don't speak like quote unquote American English as someone who has English as their first language. Um, and obviously Chinese is my first language. So people might have the expectation that I'm like an ex- expat, which I was for, you know, for a long time until I've decided that I do want to stay here and I'm going to put down some roots. Um, and but sometimes it really depends on the way it's asked and you know who's asking and what, under what circumstances and um and yes i don't know if that that answers the question <laughs> but it's it's a complicated thing to be asking anyone i feel like and there's you know sometimes there's a straightforward answer and most of the time there's just not because yeah yeah well ch- to your point of saying like you you've decided to put down roots here do you personally feel like you you identify with the label as asian american because you know there's a lot of different groups that exist here and a lot of different identities that overlap and i think it's uh we don't want to assume that you are identifying as an asian american yeah no thanks for that i i do so that okay uh, so don't worry about it but um, <laughs> i did i feel like it's in many ways, to me, it's a legal term because mm-hmm. uh, as someone who I would like to say maybe like I'm privileged in a way compared to those who were born here, because obviously you know people can choose where they were born, and but you could choose um, sometimes where you move to and where you know where you want to go um, in your life. So I feel like by making that legal decision in a way gives me a it gives the back power back to me if that makes sense. And um, uh, so I am able to say that. And if anyone or like people who might have another idea of what American means or Asian American means, which I really haven't had that in the Asian American community at all, because everyone I've met and because like most of my friends from college are actually Asian Americans rather than or the Asians, I guess, rather than the overseas expats. Um, And I really just felt embracement for you know most of it so yeah so I do that's I really do. great to hear yeah do you love ramen jesse oh my god yes don't you hate the shitty instant ramen we have here in the states though um totally and completely What if I could tell you that you could get premium instant ramen direct from Japan delivered straight to your door? Did you know that in Japan, instant ramen is actually legit? 
They put a lot of care into using high quality ingredients for the soup, the noodles, and <laughs> the toppings. But how do I get access to that when I live here? Well, bitch, you're in luck. We've teamed up with 5AM Ramen, a business based out of Tokyo that is obsessed with all things ramen. They are offering premium curated sets of the best instant ramen in Japan to consumers worldwide. And with our special discount code, you'll get 5% off your order and free shipping worldwide. Just use ReallyFrom5 at checkout. Head over to instantramen.jp now and use our promo code ReallyFrom5. Oishi! Great. Well, I'm sure there might be more to dig into with that once we get into some of the other topics, but maybe we pivot straight in. Um, so jumping right into the deep stuff, I feel like um, one of the main things we wanted to discuss is obviously on this podcast, especially we kind of talk a lot about our own reconciling our own identity issues growing up. And um, one of the main reasons we have identity issues is that as Asians in America, we're a minority. We're one of many minorities here, right? Um, and so there's this contentious feeling for us where we like, now that we're adults, we embrace more of our Asian culture and, you know, our, uh, our parents' um, motherland and all that comes with that. But growing up, we all just want to be white, right? Because that's the majority, that's the kind of standard, and that's what's considered normal. So I think one thing we wanted to talk about is what it's like to be the majority versus the minority, um, because... Uh, I mean, we always look at things here from a Western lens, but if you grew up in China or any Asian motherland, uh, most likely you were the majority because that is more other countries are more homogenous than the U.S. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about like if you ever thought about race in that respect when you were in China and then how that transition when you came to the U.S. and had to flip-flop between like majority to minority? Yeah, um, honestly, I have not thought about race <laughs> um, before I came to America at all because <laughs> I feel like, well, A, I was very young and in China, it's sort of like um, I lived I lived the typical life of like a city, um, like I, sort of living a bubble, I like to say, and my parents are very one of the typical, you know, Chinese parents where like school is everything. Don't worry about anything else, getting to go to college, and that's all you need to worry about until you get to college. And so I feel like I was sheltered in a sheltered in a way. And then I came to America, and I realized that it was in many ways a privilege not having to think about race um, as this thing that like to not I guess not having the the feeling that I am a minority growing up. Mm. And I feel like that was compared to, you know, in the maybe the typical Asian American experience growing up in America, I feel pretty lucky in that sense. I don't know if that's okay to say. Um, because mm. if you grew up as a minority, you don't have to worry about, you don't represent anyone but yourself. And, you know, because other people of other races or like, you know, maybe white people will see you and say, oh, that's so Asian of you. And you feel like you might somehow represent the whole race which is obviously not true and um, I just never had to go through that back in China I feel like I did have to go through that once I moved here in a way mm -hmm. um, yeah and I remember watching 
um because this question like i talk about my friends a lot as well um because i think ronnie chang i think it was ronnie chang who had like uh you know as a special and he was like i don't know how to live like a minority because i was um you know where i came from we're all asians and i was like that's exactly how i feel <laughs> and yeah so I, I feel like it was lucky to not have that chip on my shoulder or like not to have society put that chip on my shoulder and force me to live it and um and I was thinking about, you know, since, like, what time did that change happen? What time did I actually feel like, oh, okay, my identity has shifted? Because I feel like being minority is, in many ways, like, the straight definition is sort of black and white, right? It's a numbers thing. Like, if you have less of you in the population of whatever group you are, um, whether it be, you know, you're Asian or you're, I don't know, college educated or whatever, you could be a minority. But feeling like a minority is a completely different thing. And because, like, you know, the 1%, I guess <laughs> not to get too polite, the 1% is a minority, and I don't feel like their feeling of being minority is the same as maybe sometimes Asian Americans feel as a minority, especially in the past, you know, one or two years in America. And um, I remember there was an incident in 2020 before, right before the election, I was at a bagel shop <laughs> in um, California, and which is a very, I consider a pretty diverse place, you know, um, where I live at. And at the bagel shop, I got yelled at by a white person, a white man, that they don't want to stand next to a Chinese or a Japanese person, to which I was like, okay. And then um, he was like, um, you know, you need to stay away from me, uh, and I'm voting for Trump. And I was like, excuse me? And then, so that was really the first time I actually really felt like, oh, okay. So, wow. like, you know, there are people who think of me as this minority and I feel like I'm a minority that I need to be looking out for myself or over my shoulders um but that incident actually you know when that had happened immediately everyone else in the bagel shop I know it's not like the bagel shop is such like a non-political place but it did happen at the bagel shop like a, like well, I was going to get breakfast but everyone else at the bagel shop sort of came to my aid and they were like oh that's not okay you need to like that's what are you talking awesome. about and then the manager of the bagel shop kicked the man out there he's like oh you need to like just leave which Good. i felt like awesome. right and i felt like okay so like maybe there is um it's not all bad but it is a reality that people get told that and you know what happened to me was only verbal and it wasn't even that you know it was not like violent and so there's a, a lot worse could happen and has happened to other people who are minorities so so yeah wow well first of all i just want to say it hasn't been a thing but recently i feel like whenever someone starts a story with i was at a bagel shop <laughs> it gets really crazy like new york post is like bagel shop bagel shop bagel shop yeah. bagel shop incidents it's oh very God. strange i just want to i just want to note that yeah um, that's what I I'm, you know, I'm curious because we have a lot of different ethnic groups here and they look very different. And I feel like that very much um, highlights this minority or difference between you and me. In China, I feel like there are also different ethnic groups. So you have like Tibetan folks, like traditional Han Chinese, you have Mongolian folks. How do, I mean, and of course, I don't know exactly your ethnic background, but like, do you have an idea of how each of these different ethnicities thinks of themselves? Do they think of themselves distinctly or they're like, I'm Chinese? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Han Chinese, so okay. another privilege that I do have, which is you know, in a monoculture in China, which Han culture is definitely dominant. Um, there are, I believe, ninety percent of the population, or about ninety percent of the population, is Han Chinese, and Han Chinese culture is um, what most people might have heard of or might think of when they think of Chinese culture for better or for worse, you know, Confucius, um, you know, I don't know, dragons, <laughs> Chinese New Year and all that. I mean, other races do celebrate Chinese New Year as well, but it is the mainstream, like quote unquote mainstream version of Chinese culture. And I think on paper, we at least have 56 ethnic groups in China which is a lot. And when I was growing up, the obviously the, the line we all have to learn in elementary school is that China's a big garden and we are 56 flowers all thriving in the same garden and we all get along great, which is not the reality. But, um, but yeah, the Hong Chinese is the dominant <laughs> race um, or ma majority of race in China. Um, and so the other groups um, I've had, I have, you know, uh, I guess, um, friends growing up that might be of other, my, you know, my minority ethnics, and I, I mean, thinking of self my, as Chinese, I don't know if I can answer that for them, given that China as a society is going in a certain direction of trying to, I guess, like here you will say we're whitewashing things, you know, in China we're trying to hongwash things, I don't even know that that's mm. a thing, but um, the diversity is not celebrated, not really. It, it might be in the propaganda, but um, the way I see it, I don't think it's celebrated. And in many ways, the you know the the, the government is trying to erase the unique cultures um, that are not currently dominant, which is Hong culture. So, so that's a yeah. I don't know if I can answer that, but I maybe that put it into perspective a little bit. Actually, you brought up something that we meant to ask about when in the majority versus minority thing. Um, you brought up class being something that stood out to you, but actually we wanted to talk about that from like your perspective when you were in China because it seems like the government tries to suppress focus on like the racial or ethnic um, differences between the population and the majority of folks are Han Chinese. So we were postulating that then the main focus of like what people are kind of um, segregating each other around is more socioeconomic. Is that a fair assumption that that's more the focus? I would agree. Yeah, I think so. Um, socioeconomic status and also rural and urban versus urban divide. Mm. That's huge. And like the Chinese cities that where I came from are, you know, like it's very, all very glamorous. It's all skyscrapers, new subways, and like there's always construction happening. And, you know, everyone has the talking points of, oh, you go to China, and like five years, uh, five years later, you go again. It's, it's all different and it's just moving so mm. fast. And I feel like, like in a way, it was coming to America had put that into perspective of like, the development, the fast development, economic development of like the first class, you know, Chinese cities, it's built on the lower class, the backs of lower class people, mm. right? Like migrant laborers and people of low income and like gig workers, especially. Okay, so we talked about obviously there are shocks and weird experiences that come with becoming a minority as opposed to majority. So that's 
part of it. But I imagine there were other just like cultural shocks that came with moving here. I'm curious, what were some of those like bigger, biggest ones for you that when you cross came to the U.S. and started settling here? I don't know, like with. I'm just now I'm feeding you stuff from like dating or like the food or like <laughs> I don't know like what yeah. were the biggest things that stood out to you? Um, I think this might not be a deep one, but it was it was real really real because uh, I came to Cal- I, I landed in California right and I lived in a Chinese like um, what we call like middle tier city, um, but like basically a metropolitan area, um, sort of in a bubble, and I'm never. Um, not, that's not to say China is all metropolitan, right? Because obviously it's not. And large parts of China is definitely not. And it's rural and it's very different. But I sort of lived in a bubble and I landed in California and I was like, is this a poor country? <laughs> I was like, this seems like a poor country because there's no, there are no skyscrapers besides a very small part of... I know I'm it dead. sounds I'm really ridiculous. Um, but like, I was like, there's no skyscrapers. Every like building is like two stories tall. And, oh like, and like, there are no subway. And, you know, I always have subway. And I've been to the East Coast and New York subway is just... It's really, really old. And I couldn't wrap my head around being an 18-year-old, like, shiny skyscrapers doesn't just mean, like, actual economic status, like, overall. Does that make sense? But yes. I was like, what? Where did I, I thought America is, like, should look like, like, you know, like, in Friends, like, when I watched it oh growing God. up. And, but America, just like China, is a huge place. And... Yeah. Like New York subway being old, it's not because New York is poorer than China. It's just because they built it 100 years ago. And if we have built our subway 10 years ago, of course it's going to be newer and shinier. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's, I know, that I sound like a really silly teenager now thinking back. Yeah. And then I, I was like, I mean, I, didn't, I haven't gone to college yet. I like never taken one economic class, uh, like a real one in my life. And I was just, I couldn't understand it. And then I went to college um, and sort of like get a better understanding of like how society works. That sounds so embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I feel like that was, that was the first thing I could think of. And then also I feel like the diversity, not to yeah. like put talking points of like America's great, <laughs> but like the diversity that you do get to experience and see here. I feel like especially on a college campus, like yeah. most college campuses, um, are is is very different from what you would experience in China. And obviously, everyone will be Chinese, and but here it feels like not just like the university I went to is a public university, um, and not just like racial diversity because you know I got to meet all people different races, and then even like class diversity um, because um, I met like people like whose parents are like illegal immigrants and i've met people who are like who don't have status themselves and then become daca right um and i feel like that was really eye-opening in a way because these people because there was an intimidation of me i was like oh maybe they won't like me because i'm like a chinese international student and Mm -hmm. there's like stereotypes but like um, and then once we got to like sort of know each other through like, I don't know, class projects, clubs and all that, and you really sort of get an idea, oh, okay, so like this could be what America means. Um, but yeah, but I, I would say diversity is another cultural shock. Okay, something that we have talked about in the past, and I had my dad on our podcast uh, as our first guest way back in season one. <laughs> Um, and we're talking about the idea of heritage and the kind of like the importance of preserving 
the culture and heritage of our Chinese, Taiwanese, you know, um, families and history uh, and carrying that on into the future. And I think what we wanted to discuss was how important that is to someone who grew up in grew up and was raised in the motherland because our our guess is that like it's not thought of as this like sacred thing it's just it's just what you were like it's just what you did and it's just like those were just the traditions and you just do those things it's just part of life versus like for us i think because especially in our youth we were very like rejecting of our culture and we're trying to like refine it reclaim it for ourselves now the thought of like the idea of heritage and like preserving this thing feels kind of like sacred and like a another you know special little thing to us versus like my dad's perspective he was like who cares he's <laughs> like life's changing like preserve what you want but like if for example he was like chinese new year like used to be a huge thing or like you you really observed the like two to three week vacation thing and like people would fly home you know to the motherland and like really spend that time with families and now it's like you have jobs it's like harder to get back it's not as observed as before and he's like it's fine like that's who cares you know so i'm curious what your perspective is on just like the idea of heritage and preserving it and and passing it down no knowing that it was not as emphasized as like a special separate thing for you growing up yeah i mean that goes back to like me not having the pressure of proving myself as Chinese, right? Because, like, I literally am. Like, what are you going to, you know, <laughs> especially if I come from a Chinese society, <laughs> no one can am. tell me that, right? Um, like, made in China, like, literally. So, yeah. but I, I, I feel like, well, I had, I guess this goes back to cultural shocks. But first, like, I, my Asian American friends, often it's an interesting thing because I feel like they're more, quote-unquote Chinese than I am meaning that like they um their parents teach them more like traditional culture stuff and they make them go to Chinese school and learn the history versus to me I didn't have to learn the history because uh it was a communist country and like you know and then for 30 years and no one likes to talk about history because you're Mm. not really allowed to especially recent history you can't talk about it and like cultural revolution was really literally about like my parents generation grew up in the cultural revolution right so like for them it was literally about like breaking everything old and like like traditional culture is bad (laughs) so um so so it's a complicated thing and then i feel like for immigrant, which I'm feeling this myself, being an immigrant now, that the point that where you move to a country or like where you were born in a country, but like you came from a different culture from to one or two generations back, that becomes a snapshot. Like that culture, that version of the culture at the time becomes a snapshot what your family tries to hold on, which is a beautiful yes. thing because you know like immigrant families got to stick together and like and it's a it's a new place and you're a minority, um, but that tradition in a way sort of just not frozen but it's preserved within the family and it goes on but like the other culture like in the motherland then takes a form of its own and -hmm. like develops its own path as well and in china like when i was growing up nowadays there's a lot of nationalism that goes on and it's sort of like the state is china like we have ownership of chinese culture which i do not believe at all Um, And I feel like it's a great thing because culture is fluid, right? And our heritage comes from that. And our heritage is 
by that definition also fluid and having multiple versions of it um, is a beautiful thing. Yeah, so uh-huh. I, I can't tell you that you're not Chinese just because I came from a different, slightly different maybe version of Chinese culture, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Hey everyone, we love doing this podcast. And if you enjoy our episodes, we would really appreciate if you could support us in any number of ways. First is by subscribing to us, rating us, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Second is by telling a friend. Third is following us on Instagram at where are you from pod. Fourth is supporting us on buy me a coffee. You can find out more about all of these by visiting our Instagram's link in bio. And again, our handle is at where are you from pod. Thank you. That was an amazing explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. I think we can yes. transition to our close, the fortune cookie, because we always like to end on a sweet treat. Probably either of you can answer me this question. Do they have fortune cookies in China? No. Don't let anyone tell you. That we did. Those started in San Francisco. No, There's I know. But a... sometimes sometimes stuff like that like weirdly goes back. Or it's over. Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I do remember Panda Express was or, or I was going to ask. Was going yeah. back. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's a thing. I don't know if oh, it became God. a thing. Oh. I've never. I don't know if it became popular. I, I know feel Shake like Shack is in China and it's super popular. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, because that's yeah. white people food. That's different. right. <laughs> yeah, but fortune cookie, I'll say, it's, yeah, wholeheartedly American. Asian <laughs> American. Yeah. Uh, well, that wasn't so the question, funny. but I was just very oh, curious when I was saying fortune cookie. Uh, the yeah. question is, what did you think of Asian Americans before you came over here to America? Like, what's the general perception of what? Asian Americans are like when you're growing up and living in the motherland. It um and it's a shame to say this, it's the model Be real. <laughs> because I okay, the the only Asian Americans me and my like bubble nose are like the new immigrants that goes to Silicon Valley. Uh, like that's the group of new like immigrants from mainland China or like other places in Asia, right? The, they have high paying jobs. They came to America for a master's or PhD degree. And like they came back and like, I remember when I was like, I have an aunt who immigrated to America like 30 years ago and she comes back and she will bring like these fancy, it was like nineties China and she will bring back these fancy like, like um, stationary items, like mm. bookmarks and we couldn't buy them in China. Back then, I was like, oh, my God, this is great. Like, this is, like, the first world country. And then I feel like that was, but that was obviously a stereotype. And it was a small group of what makes up the Asian American population in America. And I came here, and, like, in college, people I meet are, like, second generation, and their parents might came over as refugees, right? Their parents Mm -hmm. might came over um, for whatever other reason, came over for a job, and it's you know the makeup of like the people i know now even being american not for my whole life but just for a decade is like i I feel like every class of people you know Mm -hmm. you know and it's very diverse so i feel like there was another cultural shock that i didn't answer yeah what about because we're selfish and i think the reason we wrote this question was being like egotistical towards ourselves we're like (laughs) what is your opinion of what was your opinion of ABCs in particular? Like uh, that kind of Asian American? Because I think we grew up 
feeling like our our families in Taiwan had a certain perspective of us as ABCs. And yeah. I'm curious if that was a made up, you know, POV that we we came <laughs> up with, or if you actually see ABCs as like a certain Did- way in the motherland. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know because I okay. So uh, the aunt that did immigrate to America a long time ago, she has a child, and I remember like they used to call him like bananas, as in like he's yellow on the outside and white yes. in the middle. <laughs> and I now I feel like it's kind of offensive because it's like you're asking this child who grew up in America, right? Like did not grow up in China, um, by the choice of his parents, like to prove himself somehow to yeah. these people in the motherland. And I, you know, and then I came to America myself and I've been here a while. Then I sometimes have disagreements with like my parents or like my other relatives and they will be like, Oh, you're so American now. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's not why do we like why do we have to prove ourselves, you know? Yeah. So I feel like that's an expectation that Angela, you should not try to live by <laughs> because it's nonsense. Yeah. Thank you for validating us. <laughs> An episode and a life lesson all wrapped in one. Truly. Okay. Well, thank you for that validation. I feel better now. Um, and that makes me feel positively leading into our closing closing off so uh, this was great thank you so much for joining Mm -hmm. us and providing your perspective i think we learned a lot from from you seriously Um, oh no same here why don't you tell our listeners where they can find with chinese characteristics and if there's anything like a new project or anything that you want to plug feel free to drop that here as well yeah uh well um our podcast is called with Chinese characteristics and it's on all major podcast platforms and we do have a website where you can look up you know past episodes and we sometimes post like fun blog articles of like book reviews movie reviews it's with Chinese characteristics.com and we're also on Instagram and Twitter so feel free to f- follow us there and you know talk to us about history and um, Asian American politics great um well if you listeners have enjoyed this episode and the topics that we covered or if you have a different perspective on the asian american grow up here versus grow up in motherland um perspectives that we provided write us in about your own experience or feedback or questions that you may have for cherry um at tell us where you're from at gmail.com that your is y-o-u-r-e And of course, come back next week because we'll have a fresh new episode for you then. And until then, bitches. bitches.